Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Catherine Troyer, and joining me is Anthony Tresca. Hello there. This is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us for our episode today, over 2006's Black Xmas. been listening to our other episodes you know that this is the second of what will be a three-part series working our way through all of the black christmases so we encourage you to uh, listen to our episode on the 73 film and of course um, if you are making a decision about how to spend your time and it's between watching the 2006 or the 73 i think both anthony and i would tell you to Go ahead and reach for the 73 yeah. and push the 2006 <laughs> back on the shelf where maybe it belongs forever. Yeah, I was very disappointed by this movie. I was too. Um, and I was, I was disappointed by so much. I just like so much. And I think one of the things that, that I found interesting when I was doing some looking at the particularly the crew after is that I I really expected more from our writer director Glenn Morgan because mm-hmm. and I admit that this is a guilty pleasure but I'm a huge fan of Final Destination um, and I'm a huge fan of it in part because now like every time that I'm on the freeway or I'm doing whatever you know I see all of those sequences of like you know all the ways that I can die just from a tiny little you know um, paperclip falling on the ground or whatever um, and I will say that I did see a little bit of um, Morgan's appreciation or interest in sequences in this film right there was a lot of like if this happens then this will happen then this will happen especially in the opening um, 15 or 20 minutes which Anthony you said yeah. was for you the the least problematic part of the film at least it was interesting I thought that the first 20 minutes wall I didn't find I found it neither particularly scary or particularly like really well directed it was at least pretty cheesy and kind of over the top and like you were like oh okay so it's gonna be just a re- it's gonna be a slasher slasher with in all like in all capital letters with just like and that's the tone we're going for it's just going to be really over the top and crazy but after that first like 15 20 minutes the film kind of stops being that and as such it kind of stopped having my attention too yeah so there are things that i i really like about slasher films um you know they're they're a very um comfortable horror right they're Mm -hmm. they're not the type that make you feel like you have to scrub your skin and they're not the kind that make you feel like you know you should just give up on humanity it's it's a lot of you know um good old wholesome fun if you will um and i felt that in the first 20 minutes and there are things that i have come to appreciate about slasher films that i think 
were exemplified um, in that opening sequence, such as um, a lack of any attempt to make the laws of physics and or time work, right? So like when, you know, he's got the the guards slung in his bag and he's like changed super fast. I'm sorry, Santa, right? And he's changed super fast. Like that doesn't temporally in terms of physics, in terms of like blood, in terms of all of it, none of it should work. But in a slasher film, I think I'm so very willing to just say, yep, that's what I want. I want it to not make sense. Um, One of the problems for me though, was that I felt that that just picked up speed as the film went on. I felt like the film was very disjointed. Um, And I know from the beginning, they were trying to throw us off by showing us a sequence that was um, actually a flashback, right? But that we didn't know when it was happening. Um, but, but I, as I was watching it, there were several times that I, I felt like I was missing something, um, that there was, there were sequences missing, but there were also really awkward and non-existent transitions between, between scenes and between characters and between sections that was just really unfortunate. And I think a lot of that comes from like, this film really is just like, I, I don't want to say a shot for shot remake of the original film because it's not. It does do some different things, but the things that it does differently, it kind of grinds the film to a halt in order to shove in. And so they're not so much additions or extensions of the story so much as just like those, they are a different story altogether. And they are totally outside the straightforward linear narrative of the film. That, the, but the, And that's fine. You can do a film that is chronologically out of order and is kind of switching back and forth, but you have to do it really well. And this film doesn't really commit to that. And so, in effect, I'm just like kind of left reaching, grasping at straws, trying to figure out who I'm supposed to care about, what storyline is the most important, and also just like, do I, 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 I don't know. I just didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, there was nothing for me there. I couldn't grasp onto anything. And you're speaking about a really important issue and, and that is the issue of adaptation, right? And like, why are we adapting or remaking this film? And I, I always struggle with this because I, I feel like a lot of times other than financial glory Mm -hmm. i i don't know why certain films i don't know why certain projects get taken on right like i'm not sure what they anticipated happening with the 2006 film if they weren't going to have the magic of the 73 but were expecting the success of the 73 Um, And there have been exceptions, like I think Invisible Man, which we had an episode on, I thought that was a fantastic adaptation because it was a true adaptation. It was less of a remake. It was more of an adaptation. It was all about the spirit of things um, and about like that core nugget of the theme. But I I think I'm increasingly realizing that as a general rule, while I am down with adaptations, I have a harder time with remakes because I feel like oftentimes, like um, a lot of sequels, right, They, they miss out on that magic. And so you're right, There, it wasn't a shot by shot, but there was enough homage to the original with all of these weird intrusions stuck on. And so it just felt like there were, um, it just felt like there were all of these weird appendages that mm-hmm. didn't make sense. And, and there's a lot of stuff, particularly in the first half of the film, that really doesn't 
textually make sense independent of the 1973 film and yet it doesn't give you the context that you need to really like be able to understand or get invested in the story in with it just kind of expects you to go along with it which was very frustrating because I had watched these films a couple of weeks apart and I still was even having trouble kind of following what they were expecting me to remember from the first film I was like oh yeah okay I guess well but actually that's ex excuse me Billy then is the character they expect us to know the name of is who is the villain and that is never mentioned in the 1973 version. That is something that was picked up in folklore uh, from the director who named it and then was appropriated by the fan community. And they have that throughout a lot of the film and they just kind of expect the audience to know it. And it, I don't know, I just was like, what is going on here? And I think here <sighs> is a good place to talk about that I think one of the, the film's weakest elements mm -hmm. was the development of the Billy character. Agreed. Absolutely. So I wanted to, for continuity's sake, continue us uh, by thinking of all three Black Christmases through Carol Clover's lens um, in Her Body Himself, Gender in the Slasher film. And and I think that this is a, a good place to kind of talk about her ideas about the killer and she she begins actually her discussion dis, she and she actually begins her discussion about the killer by going to psycho and talking about and she says the notion of a killer propelled by a psychosexual fury more particularly a male in gender distress has proved a durable one uh, and then she says you know Norma Bates of course is a good example but we have Texas Chainsaw Massacre and some other ones and later says even killers whose childhood is not immediately at issue and who display no overt gender confusion are often sexually disturbed and i don't it, it almost felt like they were like oh well we got to have you know something in there and the whole like the backstory and the incest which mm -hmm. i have said time and again i would be okay 100 percent with that dying as a um trope within horror i think it's just time to set it free um it just it was disgusting and it was unnecessary. Like, I don't think it added to anything. And I actually think that having a backstory detracted. Um, I think it was much more disturbing to not know who was stalking um, the sorority house in the 73 and realizing that it wasn't Peter. Oh, dear heavens, they're still in the house and we don't know what's going to happen next. Right. Like, to me, that was just so much more disturbing than this, like, flashback sequence and, you know, like family unit and all that stuff. Yeah, because and I, I think this represents a core difference between the 1973 film and the 2006 film is that the 1973 film, as we discussed on that episode, is largely disaffirmative because of that ending and because of the it shows how all of these systems have failed to protect this house and the girls who live there. But that same thing is not really true in the 2006 version. It's it's an affirmative film, largely, I think. And so while it is a remake of that film and does include a lot of direct shots from it and story beats from the original, the things that it changes are the things that made the original work. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. I thought I had more there, but then I realized I was just like, that's a good place to stop. That was a good thought right there. Not it gonna... was a good thought. <laughs> and it's like, it's it's the, the punctuation, right? That like, it just didn't add anything at all. Um, and 
And I feel that way about probably a good 90% of the elements that are unique to the 2006 film, that they really just did not add anything um, and they just took away uh, from some of the magic and, and sort of greatness that is um, the 73. And I think that we need to go to next um, our victims and our final girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the the part of me that has seen Mean Girls, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, and I haven't seen Arrow, but I'm familiar with um, Katie Cassidy. You know, I, it was, I was excited to see, um, you know, all of these, like, familiar faces. I kind of like it when, when horror films, I like it both when horror films have no-name actors and also when they have, like, a star-studded cast. Mm-hmm. Both sort of equally delight me. Um, and, and this really did. This had people, um, also Oliver Hudson and um, Andrea Martin, who, you know, is usually a very comedic actress, um, played the Den Mother Rick. These are people that you have seen in big-name films. Um and that was maybe the only interesting thing was was seeing these these actors that I liked well enough um, in in other stuff, but they were just they were pale imitations mm-hmm. of the seventy three characters. Um, you know, the I'm sure it was not coincidence that this time around our final girl was the only one who was blonde right and everyone else was brunette like i'm sure that was an intentional decision and you know that's cleverish i mean it's fine it's not you know it's not anything great one way or the other but none of the none of the female characters went to the heights or the depths um of the 73 characters, right? Our character, our drunken character wasn't drunk enough. Um, our den mother wasn't kooky enough. Um, our, our mate final girl wasn't enough of a, of a character, a mm-hmm. presence, right? Like it just was really, it was lackluster in, in some ways that I thought was, was unfortunate considering that we had several actresses that, that really were doing a good job in an ensemble cast. Yeah. I don't think any of the fault is really on, the acting in this film. I think it's all pretty serviceable and they really work with what they're given. It's just unfortunate that they weren't given a little bit more to like chew on because yeah, what you're saying is exactly true. This, it really feels like they've, they've taken all of the teeth out of it. Um, and I think that one of what, what might be interesting is just as we talked about how the original film, was a was from Canada and was a Canadian perspective on America, and now this film we're looking at an America America's perspective on America, and I think that's where we see the shift in here and the toning down and like the making. It almost feels like they've just they're talking down to you. They're like you won't understand it unless we simplify it and really just give you something that you've already seen before. And I think one point in the film's favor is I I do think it was making an effort not to um, vilify women simply for being people who drink or people who have sex. Um, You know, even our, even our sorority sister who we find out, you know, had an affair with the boyfriend, Mm -hmm. even that wasn't 
it was I felt like one of the things I appreciated is that the film never went where a lot of slasher film American slasher films go and and that is to blame the victims right, right. For, right. for the crimes so that was that was one thing I really appreciated but you're right in the process um it sort of sanitized it and it and it removed like you said the teeth which always just makes me think about like a vampire without teeth, like gumming someone mm. to death. Um, so that, I want that to gum me. your blood. Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what I picture every time someone says that phrase. Um, <laughs> so on the one hand, I felt like we took the teeth out and and some of the the goodness out of the the victims and the final girl, and and placed it inappropriately onto Billy, mm-hmm. so that he was the most developed character in the film and and there were just a lot of questions i had i i thought the color choice was really weird mm-hmm. um the whole like you know that he's permanently jaundiced and so he kind of looks all hulky um but i must say that i really particularly wasn't sure how i felt about the the decision to have agnes be played by a male actor that to the best of my ability uh, in terms of my looking um is is a cis white male. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an unfortunate choice. I didn't notice it in the film. It didn't stick out to me in really any way, just because I think I was so turned off by the film, by the point in which the adult mm-hmm. ver- version of Agnes showed up, that it didn't really bother me. But yeah, it just feels like a very, it. Fr- it frankly, it feels like, that that's the type of decision that wouldn't happen today. Um, and I I think that I I feel like it was done so that we could wonder for a little while when we saw Agnes. Well, I think first we're made to wonder if it's not one of the sorority sisters, right? right. And then I think that we were supposed to wonder if um, it was quote Agnes, right? If this was another Norman Bates type scenario mm-hmm. where um, Billy was was in drag or was dressed as Agnes, but there wasn't actually a physical Agnes. And so I think I think that's what the film was trying to do by making that decision. Um, and so in that respect, I think it was clever to to throw off our thoughts that it, it was, you know, um, Billy in drag. But but I don't know if I'm if I'm making too smart of a of a decision for the film. Yeah, I feel like, like that I don't is a know. that is a lot of reading in to the film and justification that is required in order to get that to that point that the film does not provide. I think I think it honestly probably was just like, oh, uh, you know, wouldn't it be kind of like scary if this guy dressed up like a girl? Ooh, that's pretty like, ooh. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think you're probably right that that's that's ultimately what ended up happening. And regardless of intention, the the affect, the consequence is one that I I'm very firmly not behind. And that is the idea that when we have someone who is a killer in this capacity, um, it is always because they are a freak Mm -hmm. physically. Uh, emotionally, sexually, they are deviant. And therefore, as long as we are not deviant, right, we um, are good. And then the deviance needs to be expunged. And 
And to me, that affirmative type of horror is is just so far removed from what I find fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it really, because you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, and I think it could have, it really could have done that if it had explored the home as being a microcosm of the larger country, of the, of the larger world that we live in. But it doesn't really make that connection. But, but it so easily could have, which I think is another thing that is quite frustrating about the film, is that it never seeks to broaden the context in which we're supposed to view Billy's situation. Because the it would have been a really wonderful opportunity to view the parental figures as being, I don't these, like, as being what, the consequences of the larger society and the systematic, the systems of oppression that are placed on people, uh, particularly people like, in this case, Billy, who would have had a, dis, a disability. And so it could have been really interestingly done and it could have had, led to some commentary but instead it chooses to go down this individualistic route that's just like one bad apple, look at this, just kill the guy with the Christmas tree and then everything will be fine. Yes, and and I think that, to go back to your your phrasing of, of removing the teeth of things, there there is potentially something so interesting. One of one of my favorite parts, and it's not it's not long at all, in Clover's article is unsurprisingly the part about place and about the discussion of, of the terrible place. And, and I think that the 73 film introduced us to some really fascinating concepts about um, penetration and borders and boundaries and the idea of the home and the female body and the relationship between them. And this film just gave us the like traditional terrible place where they're scurrying up and down the walls right mm -hmm. where you know the the victims feel safe originally but then they prove not to be um and and the killers seem to be intimately um aware of the space in a way that the victims aren't mm -hmm. and and i think it just it's so much more interesting when it has the opportunity to become a bigger metaphor for for concepts of, of the home and family and society. Mm -hmm. And you're right, this was very much a like, there was a bad mom and from the beginning she was not a great mom. And then she became not a great wife. And then she became an even worse mom. And then she became, you know, like that's not, that, yeah. that's just a, 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 an isolated incident. Um, and and there, again, the, like you said, there were moments that you thought it was going to go further. Like, why was the dad, why, why introduce the idea that the dad was um, in the military, right? Like we could have done something with with the idea of like stopgap, right? And what's it mean to be in, in this liminal space? Like there were so many yeah. things we could have done. And, and I just don't understand why you would introduce them at all if you're not going to use them. Yeah, if you're not going to pay them off in a really satisfying way. You know, I was thinking about while you were while you were talking about that and reading Clover's depiction of a slasher, uh, a lot of our conversation in the previous episode was about how can Black Christmas really be considered the birth of the slasher film, um, and we kind of didn't really weren't able to really answer that question because it's just yes and no. It's not the same slasher film that is described here because that one is clearly using Halloween as the starting point, and I think that's the difference here is 
1973 Black Christmas was still helping to make and define the slasher genre, whereas this Black Christmas is firmly just, it is a slasher, and that is all it is. It is, it is a slasher in every sense of that word. It fits all of the criterion, technically, but there is nothing else there. I think that's a, a really good way to think about it, that, that it's, it's trapped in the mold. Yeah, um, that and it, and there's there's almost no chance for it to get out. And and when we get to our episode on the 2019 version, we can talk about the fact that when films do try to emerge, oftentimes the audience response is not um, yeah. very pleased. So there is something about this this model and about this formula that people really like. Um, and and again, I, I know that I. I differ from you and that I do like Halloween, but Mm -hmm. um, we both like Nightmare on Elm Street, which is also a pretty straightforward. I mean, it's a humorous one. So it's got comedy, but really, but again, it's, it's, it's a pretty traditional in many respects um, slasher film. Um, There are other ones that to varying degrees that, that you and I like. Um, I'm a big fan of Scream and I know you're at least a, I really like Scream. Yeah. Um, And again, that's another sort of outlier. I realize, um, but even if we go back to Clover's like reference of Psycho, like I think Psycho's a, a brilliant film, um, although again it's not exactly a traditional slasher. <laughs> so never mind. Maybe I don't have any good examples um, because I'm thinking maybe I don't like the more straightforward. Are slashers you having as much an epiphany on? I know while I, we're recording that you <laughs> don't actually like slashers. <laughs> I mean, no. I guess I think I like slashers that that don't feel like they're obligated to to adhere to the formula simply because that's what they're supposed to do as a slasher. Wow, I cannot believe that the 2006 Black Christmas was the slasher that broke you. I know. I, this is this is not what I was expecting well, when I when we went in to record this episode. Because I know, it's just I'm thinking about like like I'm not well, so some of it is, is I'm not a big fan of some of those earlier ones and again I realize that this goes against what most people who are listening to this podcast will want to hear, but I'm not a big fan of Texas Chainsaw. I, I like it better than Friday the 13th, I think. It's gross. I don't know. I like it better um, than Friday the 13th as yeah, well. But it's, it's you know, like, I, I guess the slasher films that I watch time and again are either Slasher 2.0 or they're, like, meta-slashers, um, yeah, perhaps this is a genre best served in conjunction with something else. Because I, now that I'm thinking about this as well, all of all of the slashers that we you're describing and that I also like are slashers plus something else. And so I think maybe the slasher genre as is is just a bit too formulaic, a bit too surface level for at least my taste. I don't want to speak on behalf of you. You can, uh, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like working my way through films that I would qualify as slasher. Um, I thought, you know, the, the new, like newish, like the 2006, that may be a made up date. Uh, house of wax was a goobery film, but rather delightful. Um, mainly because of the, the special effects, not because of, the acting of the script um i thought wrong turn was fine um 
but again, mainly because I hadn't seen anything quite like that and because I was intrigued by, again, the special effects. Um, if we're going to count Descent as a slasher, which I don't know if we would, first off, it's Canadian, and second, it adds something to the formula, right? So I think you're right that I, I think what I'm always on the lookout for are films that understand that the magic of a formula is not plug and play. Yeah. The magic of a formula is, is to have something is to have a, a scaffold, right? Or a skeleton around which you can build everything else instead of saying, here's the skeleton, mm -hmm. it's done. Um, you know, I've slapped some skin on. It's like, no, I, I built muscle and I built, you know, like, I mean, like I just, yeah. Cause like happy death day is definitely a slasher, Absolutely. but it's a slasher comedy. And, and so I think, yeah, I think that's, that's where I'm going to draw the line because again, if I think about the strangers, which I would also qualify as a slasher, it, definitely it is not is a slasher. It's, it's not a slasher that just said, here's your, the formula you've always seen. Okay. We're good to go. Um, yeah. And I, so I think that's, what's just ultimately feels frustrating about black Christmas is just that it's just a, a Hollywood. It, it feels like a Hollywood exec was just like, I understand what makes a slasher and then just made a slasher but that was it. It was. It didn't. And it didn't really. And they were like, "Let's make it a remake of Black Christmas because that's a brand that we can sell." Rather than this was a story that needed to be told, and it demanded to be told like this. And so, I, I think I'm more. I'm just really. I don't know if I even have anything else to say about this movie because that's just how uninterested by this film I was. I will say the. The, the creep level was high with all the, with the number of times the eyes were, you know, punctured, yeah, it removed. it was pretty gory. Like, I mean, it was pretty impressively gory. So there was some good makeup work. Um, the, the tree death was, you know, if you're going to follow the formula, you better adhere to the part where you have to have at least at one time a really weird and completely unbelievable death. So we got that in there. Um but yeah, I think I think that might be the end of our discussion because everything else that I want to say, I want to say for our 2019 um, talk. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's time to move on. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, our next episode will be on... The 2019 version of Black Christmas. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. So we hope that you will listen to that episode, which will be a spectacular episode as it will release on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. uh, in the meantime, we encourage you to... Follow all of our social medias, which are linked in the description. And be sure to... Uh, just go ahead and rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're at it, why not recommend us to a friend? And have a good day. Bye. <laughs>